Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unjustly. I'm your host, Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi. Thank you for joining us as we continue to explore the social injustices in our criminal justice system. So my topic today is going to be a little heavy, so I was hoping we could start on a lighter note. Steph, do you have any nice stories? I don't have a nice story per se, um, but I have a story of... Um, how would I describe it? Um, let's just say it was funny. Okay, I'll let's take just it. Say it's funny. Yeah, make us laugh. Um, so this weekend was my husband Tim's birthday, and uh, when I had asked him what he wanted for his birthday, um, he really Tim is the kind of person who buys whatever he wants whenever he wants, and so it's he is really difficult to shop for. But he's also not that difficult to shop for if you're a thoughtful person which is really hard because, um, not that I'm not thoughtful, but he's like very sentimental. And he's so more really, thoughtful than you are. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. say he's a little more thoughtful than I am. And so when I kept like pestering about it, he was like, you know, I love shoes. Okay. He's like, he, a sneaker head, I guess, if you will. And he's like, you know, I love shoes. So just get me a pair of shoes that you think I'll like. And even if it's not like my cup of tea, the fact that you gave them to me like will mean a lot. So I'll love them. And so I like went on this quest trying to figure out what kind of shoes to get him. And I remembered that um, right before our wedding, he had bought a pair of Kobe's that he was really, really like excited about. And this was pre Kobe's passing. And so they were just, you know, back then they were just a pair of Kobe's that he had found at the Nike outlet. And he was a pumped about it but they weren't anything super special but fast forward he goes to the gym one day and he takes two pairs of shoes to the gym on the days that he's going to play basketball so he takes a pair of basketball shoes and then gym shoes and basketball he has his gym shoes and his like balling shoes okay (laughs) and so like he played at the at the gym for a little bit and then he switched out of those shoes put them in his backpack and then went weightlifting or whatever he comes home and a couple hours later realizes that he can't find the backpack and he can't find the shoes. So he goes back and like retraces his steps. The next following days, he goes to all of the different gyms that we would go to back then, trying to see if anybody had turned in the backpack and the pair of shoes, and he just never found them. So that has kind of always come up whenever um, shoes come up I guess and now that um you know with Kobe's passing that's just like one of his biggest regrets that he didn't take better care of it because people are awful and the resale value on those have gone up so much okay so um that was kind of like what I decided I would look for so I found a pair of these Kobe's on eBay because I went to like the different websites that sell these shoes but they were going to take a really long time to get here and I waited a little too long. So I just needed them as soon as possible. So I found this girl on eBay who had like really great reviews and it looked really promising. I sent the like posting to his friend and I was like, can you just tell me if these are like a good deal? He's like, yeah, those are great. Like he's going to love it. So I bought the shoes and I messaged the girl and I was like, hey, if there's any way you can get them here by this weekend, mm-hmm. I would really appreciate it. Like I gave her this whole sad story about how Tim would be so happy about it and he <laughs> lost the first pair. And she's like, no worries. I got you. You'll have them by like by the week, like far before the weekend. So the shoes come in. I run downstairs and the USPS had shoved them into the box. You know how 
in like the communities they oh, have yeah. like those metal boxes and, and they give goes, you a key yeah mm-hmm. so they jammed in the box is a shoe box they jammed it in there and i take it out and tim was around so i threw the shoes in the car hoping he wouldn't see them a couple days later i come to wrap them i take the shoes out of the box that they were in and the shoe box itself was like crumpled on a corner it, there, it was a mess. It was all jambled. I was so sad because I know how important like the shoe box itself is to someone who's like really into shoes. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, as long as the shoes inside are fine, like that's it's all okay. that matters. So I take the shoes out and on part of the shoe, the leather was all wrinkled and it looked like they had been crumbled when they jammed them in the box. So I'm devastated. I run downstairs and I'm like, Tim, I need you to come and look at these shoes and tell me if there's any saving these shoes because they're your present and I don't know what I'm going to do. Like it's eBay. Are they even going to give me my money back at this point? And I off, I just felt bad that like, this is the second pair of these shoes that he's not going to have. <laughs> so we rush upstairs. I'm like teary eyed and I have the shoes on the desk and I'm like, look, like they're all wrinkled. And he starts laughing and he said, Stephanie, that's part of the design. The shoes are fine. <laughs> And I just let out <laughs> tears of like joy and relief because I was so terrified that these shoes were ruined forever. And so I they're like, wrinkly shoes? It's the dumbest thing. <laughs> R.I.P. Kobe. But like, honestly, the design is just, it's the weirdest thing. He's like, how did you not notice that both of the shoes had the same wrinkle pattern on both like on both of them in the same exact place. And I think that in the moment I was just so panicked that I wasn't paying attention to that. I saw like a messed up box, messed up shoes. And I was like, Oh my God. So (laughs) that's what happened this weekend. The shoes are fine, but he did turn 30 and I felt really bad that I wasn't able to wrap his gift, that the box was messed up, that I had to give it to him in that way. But I think like, we'll look back at that day and just kind of laugh at the fact that I clearly have no idea what shoes are like cool and what Kobe's are supposed to look like, but he's got his shoes. He's really, really happy. And you did a good job. I tried my best. So that's my story. Experience almost. I mean, you know, his 30th birthday was probably going to be a little different. Were we not in um, a pandemic? Yeah. But the fact that he turned 30 during everything and that this is how we're celebrating, it just is another story to tell about how crazy this year has been mm-hmm. for all of us. <laughs> but I won't be buying any more shoes. I like that. <laughs> Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday, Tim. <laughs> so I'm not covering a specific story today, but rather a topic. Um, I'm going to be talking about rape culture and its effects on sexual assault survivors. So this definitely isn't a fun one. Um, And I do want to give a trigger warning to those who have experienced sexual assault. And if you're not ready to hear this type of discussion, then I completely understand. Um, Just turn this off at any time. So as I was doing research on this topic, I found myself getting really angry, (laughs) Um, like livid. I, you know, that gif of that cat who's like slamming on his keyboard (laughs) on the computer. Uh That was me the entire time that I was doing research on this. And Gabe would see me and he kept asking me, you know, like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm doing Mm -hmm. my podcast. It's Mm -hmm. fine. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was really upset. And 
honestly, I went down so many rabbit holes with this whole rape culture um, discussion, and there's so many aspects to it that mm-hmm. I there's no way I could have covered it all during this episode. So I do want to say that there are some things that are left out um, only for time purposes time because I don't have that much time to do the (laughs) research, but also I didn't want this podcast to be hours long, but honestly, there could be an entire season on this. Um, there's so much that goes into it. And, um, another thing while I was researching this, because I was in this state of like anger constantly as like all these cases that I was reviewing and, um, all the psychology behind it. Um, I, there's one part where I was done researching and I went on Facebook and I saw one of my friends had posted, um, something critical, like he was saying something bad about Joe Biden. Hmm. And one of his friends then posted the transcript of when, um, president Trump had, was, you know, recorded saying, grab them Mm -hmm. by the I hate that word, so I don't want to say it. Um, (laughs) It was the entire transcript of it. And so he said, you know, it was kind of his rebuttal against whatever my friend was saying against uh, Biden. And then some other guy who I don't know jumped into that conversation and he said, um, well, in that same transcript, Trump says that they let him do it, which means he has consent. Consent, Mm -hmm. And he's like, so you can't use that against him. I was so mad. Mm-hmm. I went in. I don't know who this guy is. I still don't <laughs> know who he is. He never responded to me. But I went in on this guy on my friend's page. And I basically was like, look, I don't care what your political beliefs are. I don't care what you're trying to argue right now. But what I sincerely hope is that when someone is accused of sexual assault, especially someone that you know of, um, if they say, oh, well, they let me do it, that you don't automatically believe like, oh, all right. Yep. You had consent that's fine. You know? Right. Because, and you, when you were talking about it earlier, like Gabe, um, was watching you just kind of go down this rabbit hole and like watching you all angry. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really difficult. And I think it's a good thing for women to cover topics like this and cover cases like this because no one, no one will ever truly understand unless they're a female living in today's Mm -hmm. world. Um, this past week, Tim was, um, he was entering these like raffle things to be virtual, a virtual fan, um, in the playoff games for the NBA. So the NBA is having like virtual fans that they show, um, in the game, like as if they're sitting in the stands. Um, and so he entered the raffle, he got through and basically what it ended up being was a huge like chat room with like 130 people. And they all have their their mics and their cameras on. And so you're able to, within the chat room, like talk to one another, message with one another. And so the idea is kind of like old school because it definitely took me back to like the early 2000s when people were going into chat rooms and doing all of this stuff. But I was working behind him and I could hear the stuff that people were saying. And one of the there was a girl who was sitting like in the quote-unquote second row Mm -hmm. of this like the arena and every time new people came into the room they were singling the girl out and they were like hey girl in the second row you're hot or like hey girl in the second row like you're so pretty why aren't you smiling but like they were singling her out and Tim was like oh my god what like what are they doing you know like why are they doing that but like at the same time laughing because I don't think that he understands how uncomfortable 
being the girl in the second right. row actually is but me being next to him i was like that's it's not funny it's mm-hmm. really disrespectful she must be so uncomfortable because she is just a girl trying to watch a game mm-hmm. just like everybody else mm-hmm. but the fact that it's a like a sport that's like male dominated especially with everything going on with the WNBA and then yeah. seeking you know like equal pay it's just so hard like you it it's hard enough as it is to be a girl in the chat room like there's no need to you for you guys to make it harder not that he yeah. was doing anything but like for everybody else to make it harder yeah and I don't think it was until I like pointed that out to him that it really kind of sunk in like oh you know like I see it as them just like joking around or whatever yeah. but they don't stop to think of how the girl must feel and how if I were that girl how I would feel and oh, I think yeah. that that's where you kind of put it into perspective I just don't think anybody takes the time to do that right unfortunately or mm-hmm. at, at least not a lot of guys will take the time to do that so yeah. it's when you put it in into those terms that they really kind of let it sink sink in but even then it's not it's never going to be like what you and I might feel mm-hmm. you know or what you and I feel when we're going over this stuff and researching this it's mm-hmm. awful yeah it's really hard on top of that, guys aren't having that conversation amongst themselves mm-hmm. all the time either. I feel like it is a common conversation between women. You know, sometimes you'll tell your your friend, a girlfriend, like, oh, you know, this and this happened at work or, you know, I was being catcalled here and there. Like, it's a common conversation that we have. So not only do we experience it ourselves, but then we go on and we talk about it with other people where it doesn't seem like because that would be a common male conversation because they don't have to worry about those things like in the last couple of months I would say within the last year I feel like every couple of months there's like a new warning story for women Mm -hmm. um so like a couple months ago it was the target I don't know if you heard about the stuff that was going on at the targets right but like women were posting that they were seeing they were being followed by men um, who were parked in Target parking lots, like watching, watching women in and out, like following them inside the store, stuff like that. Like it was a human trafficking issue, right? Mm-hmm. And and so those stories start circulating social media, start circulating within your friends groups, and so you're you're thinking, oh my god. I can't, I mean, I wasn't going to Target's by myself. I was dragging Tim with me every time I went and Target mm-hmm. is my happy place. So like that was really unfortunate because I then, joy. Put, yeah, like it takes <laughs> the joy out of going to Target. It takes, you know, the, it makes you just feel vulnerable in every situation that you're in. You're going to go shopping for whatever it is and you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, is anyone following me? Is anyone watching me? When I was walking to the car, I mean, it was just like Makes you hypervigilant. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, that's no way to live your life. Right now, I saw there's another one of the girl who was in a gas station up north. Did mm-hmm. you see that I one? I saw that one too. Right? Mm-hmm. So this girl was in a gas station up north. The person in front of her, a woman in front of her, was FaceTiming with someone. She turned the phone onto the girl the camera onto the girl and asked like do you like this one and in that second the girl kind of realized what was going on and ran out of the car into her boyfriend into the where into her car where her boyfriend was waiting mm-hmm. and outside was the guy who she saw on the camera who then followed and walked past her car so it's like it's every couple months it's something new and so you yeah. as a woman live in a state of constant fear and so mm-hmm. it's just hard to live like that Mm-hmm. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten <laughs> into what happens when someone is you know, a victim of sexual yeah. assault. Mm-hmm. Um, 
recently too, I was so disappointed because a couple days ago, um, we found out, so we have a favorite band, like my family as a household, (laughs) it's a bluegrass Uh (laughs) band from Canada and we're completely obsessed with them. We listen to their album every single day. It's in the kitchen, it's in the car. Like it's just our family thing. We, all of us, even my, you know, daughter, Mm -hmm. we all know the words to every single song. It's just like been our thing together. And for, um, uh, a couple days ago, we found out that one of the band members was accused of sexual assault by multiple women. Oh, no. And it was our favorite band member. <clears throat> and to make it worse, um, last year, we took my oldest daughter to her first concert. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm, and it was to this band. And we bought her backstage mm. pa- um, passes oh, no. so that she could yeah. meet them. And of course, since this guy was our favorite band member, we like spent all our time with him. We had the longest conversation with him. He was the sweetest person. Like we loved him like as a band member and as a person, we just thoroughly enjoyed our time with him. Um, And so did she. She just loved being there. And so when we found this out, I was just so disappointed because not only did we see him as this like great person but it also reminded me that it literally could be anybody you know mm-hmm. it could be your nice co-worker it could yeah. be you know the guy sitting in the room as you podcast on his phone like exactly anybody no yeah, never no, not anybody stop <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's scary because it's you you never really know you know who it could be and um it's scary and i think that as a mom, mm-hmm. you know, for you, I'm sure that there's a sense of like overwhelming guilt that you somehow didn't know. And mm-hmm. then you put and your daughter, to him, you took your daughter there, you like handed it to her, to him, like you had her take pictures with him. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. kind of a mom am I that I didn't see this? But it's like, if that's the case, then every man that we come yeah. across is suddenly a suspect or, you know, someone who's capable of doing this. And again, what kind of life is that for us to be living where you can't trust anyone because it can literally be anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to have this conversation about rape culture in general. Um, I think all genders should be having this conversation and being aware of it. And maybe we can kind of help each other out to be less fearful and uh, more accountability as well. All right. So for my story, I did get sources from Wikipedia, uh, Time Magazine, as oneproject.org, uh, frontiersin.org, multiple articles from Psychology Today, because we are going to dive into that. Um, I got some information from the Yale Journal of Law um, and the New York Times. According to Wikipedia, rape culture is a sociological concept for a setting in which rape is pervasive and normalized due to societal attitudes about gender and sexuality. Behaviors commonly associated with rape culture include victim blaming, slut shaming, sexual objectification, trivializing rape, denial of widespread rape, refusing to acknowledge the harm caused by sexual violence. So sexual assault is one of the few crimes in which the victim is just as much on trial as the perpetrator, and every aspect of the victim's life is just as much scrutinized, despite the fact that false rape accusations are rare and only an estimated 2-8% to of cases are fabricated. 
It is estimated that one in five women in the United States will be sexually assaulted in her lifetime. Of those women who have been sexually assaulted, 41% have been assaulted by an acquaintance. However, these numbers are likely underestimated as sexual assaults are one of the most underreported crimes. As a result, it is estimated that only 230 out of the every thousand sexual assaults are ever reported, meaning that about three quarters of sexual assaults go unreported. Of the rape cases that are reported, 84% are never referred to prosecutors or charged. 7% are charged but later dropped. Another 7% get a plea bargain. 1% are acquitted and only 1% are ever convicted. And with those statistics of the every one in five women, that means that I can almost guarantee you, you know, a woman that's been sexually assaulted with that statistics. And then with that, that means that it's very highly likely that, you know, a perpetrator who's done it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, with that fear (laughs) that, you know, you know, someone that's done something like this. And I think it doesn't help that all of these go um, either unreported mm-hmm. or unconvicted or un- they get acquitted. Yeah, acquitted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that that helps because that starts to kind of like grow in your mind that even if something did happen, what's the point in, in saying anything? Because then at that point, again, like your life is scrutinized. Mm-hmm. You are affecting everybody around you, whether it's your family, your lo- like, you know, your friends, your loved ones, all of them are now kind of going through this with you. Mm-hmm. And for what? So you're putting everything on the line when the chances are so, so low mm-hmm. that anything will actually come of it. So most yeah. people, again, it's just like this pattern of, well, yes, it's happening and it's happening often and happening to people that we know that are very close to us, but... Is it actually, are people actually even saying anything? Yeah. And that's really unfortunate. And when I was trying to do research on the story, I found a lot of forums discussing the idea of rape culture. And I was really surprised to see how many critics there were about it. Um, I saw a lot of comments saying that it doesn't exist, um, that it was just invented by extreme feminists uh, to condemn men when they feel triggered. Um, Not surprisingly, every single comment was from a man. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, let's do some investigating and you can decide for yourself if it's real or not. Spoiler alert. It is real. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so I do want to make a quick interjection. Um, even though I'm referring to women mostly only because it mostly happens to women, but rape and sexual assault also happens to male, um, transgender any walk of life, um, are susceptible to this. And we, I will touch base on male rape a little later in the story. Um, but i just want to throw that out there real quick. According to an article in psychology today, there's a huge issue surrounding rape myths, which are false beliefs that deny or excuse sexual violence. They are based on stereotypical beliefs that can relate to the victim, the perpetrator, or the act. These myths perpetuate rape culture because perpetrators aren't held accountable for their actions and survivors are ashamed. Victim blaming is a strong component of rape myths with justifications used for victim blaming such as statements like she wanted it uh, when reflecting on how the victim was dressed or saying she asked for it because she was drunk. It can also include statements such as rape only happens to a certain type of woman or it really wasn't rape if a woman doesn't fight back. So one of the biggest issues of rape culture is definitely victim blaming. 
Unfortunately, a few weeks ago, we heard the unfortunate news that Daisy Coleman from the 2016 Netflix documentary, Audrey and Daisy, had committed suicide. <gasps> Did you not know? No. Oh, Steph. Are you serious? I promise. It, it was, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago. Oh, my um, God. Mm-hmm. And it was basically years after battling depression and anxiety and a result of the trauma from her sexual assault. Yeah, it was really sad. So if you have not watched the documentary yet, you should. Uh, it documents the rape and aftermath of two young teen girls and is the perfect depiction of when cyberbullying meets victim blaming. In 2012, in Saratoga, California, 15-year-old Audrey Pott was sexually assaulted at a party by three 16-year-old boys she knew after passing out from drinking too much. They wrote all over her body with markers and posted nude pictures of her online, which circulated between her classmates. After being severely cyberbullied over the incident and the pictures and blamed for what happened to her, Audrey committed suicide eight days after the rape. That same year in Maryville, Missouri, 14-year-old Daisy Coleman and her friend, 13-year-old Paige Parkhurst, were raped at a party by older high school boys while they were intoxicated. After the assault, Daisy was dumped on her front lawn, unconscious, with little clothes on, in the middle of the night in 21-degree weather. In Daisy's case, her assailant, Matthew Barnett, the grandson of a former Missouri state representative, was never charged with sexual assault. He was instead charged with endangerment for leaving Daisy the way he did and was sentenced to two years of probation. But the crazier part about this case is how it left the city divided. Some people came to her defense protesting for justice, while others blamed Daisy and began bullying her and harassing her because of it. After the trial, the hashtags that were trending were hashtag Jordan and Matt are free, hashtag I hate Daisy, Daisy is a liar, and a lot of people posting comments like that's what you get for being a skank. Those girls are filthy whores and Daisy is a dumb slut who just wanted attention. High school kids are the worst. So a lot of cyberbullying that was happening to Daisy was very similar to the things that Audrey had received in her case. And Daisy's home was even vandalized and then burned down. Her mom lost her job because of the media coverage from the case. Daisy and her family received threats of assault. And from the trauma of the rape and subsequent harassment, Daisy got depressed, started self-harming, and had attempted suicide on multiple occasions. The end of the documentary showed Daisy attending therapy groups, she was feeling positive about the future, and later news articles showed her as an advocate for other rape victims, but unfortunately she succumbed to the depression and shot herself eight years after her assault. In the documentary, Maryville Sheriff Darren White said the boys in this case were the only ones who decided to put this behind them and were trying to move forward. They are working, going to college, and trying to do better. He said the fatal flaw of society is that it's always the boys, but girls are equally culpable in the world and they both need to take their part in it and do better. Now, during this, I thought he meant like boys and girls are equally culpable of raping. But when the interviewer noted that in this particular case, the crimes were committed by boys, the sheriff said, but were they? And laughed. So what he meant was that in this case, Daisy and Paige were also to blame for the situation. So I'll go over the psychology of victim blaming in a little bit, but my personal belief is that law enforcement judges and attorneys play a huge role in perpetuating victim blaming, just like we saw from the sheriff's comments in Daisy's case. 
If a community has a sheriff and a prominent judge, an attorney saying that these survivors are equally at fault or even that they were asking for it, then how can we expect society to easily think differently? As I go into more of the cases in the story, um, you'll definitely start to see a, a pattern of this. So the first type of victim blaming is using the way a person dresses against them. In 2018 in Ireland, a 27-year-old man was on trial for allegedly raping a 17-year-old girl in a muddy alleyway at night. In the closing arguments, the defense attorney tried to convince the jurors that the victim's underwear was evidence of her consent and she shouldn't have been wearing it in the first place. This defense attorney stated, you have to look at the way she was dressed. She was wearing a thong with a lace front. The man was found unanimously not guilty. There was immediate backlash not only in Ireland, but all over the world. And the hashtag, this is not consent, started trending online with pictures of underwear. Unfortunately, this type of defense has been abundantly used in the U.S. as well. According to an article in the Yale Journal of Law, Bras, panties, Victoria's Secret tags, miniskirts, and lack of underwear are all commonly used as evidence in rape trials. However, it is not always used as evidence to prove that the rape happened, such as pointing out DNA. It is also used to attempt to prove that it didn't happen. In short, the way they were dressed determines consent. The article continues to discuss a case where on the night of the alleged rape, the survivor was wearing a miniskirt and a halter top but she was not wearing underwear. After handing down a verdict of not guilty, the jury foreman commented that she had been asking for it. Another type of victim blaming is minimizing what the survivor believes was done to them. This could be judges or jurors not believing the victim's rape was as significant as a perpetrator's future. As an example, a New Jersey judge named James Triano said that a teenager accused of recording himself sexually assaulting a 16-year-old girl and sending the video to friends with the caption, when your first time is rape, deserved leniency because he's from a good family. He had put him into an excellent school where he was doing extremely well. And don't even get me started on the Brock Turner case. The Brock Turner case can probably be its own episode, but it just goes to show you that his is not an isolated incident at all. So another example would be um, another New Jersey judge named John Russo, who told a rape victim that she should have just closed her legs. Victim blaming can also include judgment that if the rape was falsely remembered, then it must have just been a misunderstanding or that they are lying about it. But Psychology Today tells us that the neurobiological processes involved in the encoding of traumatic events take years to recall what happened or fail to fully recall specific details of the event at all. Some survivors are only able to remember portions of the event because the part of the brain that is responsible for working memory and selective attention is also greatly affected by stress. So survivors often forget details because their brain is impaired during the high stress situation of the assault. Under this category of victim blaming, we can include the problem of people misunderstanding victims' reactions as they recount their trauma. Because of this, police officers will sometimes make assumptions about the legitimacy of what they hear and often discourage victims from seeking justice. A great example of this is the show Unbelievable on Netflix, which is actually a true story. Have you seen it, Steph? Mm, I don't think so. You got to watch it. Everyone needs to watch it. 
So in 2008, 18-year-old Marie reported being raped at knife point in her apartment. She told her story to a former foster mother who then told police that Marie was very unemotional when she discussed the assault and may be lying. Police confronted Marie with allegations that she was lying, and after being aggressively interrogated about her story, she finally said that she made it up. She was subsequently charged with false reporting. The report, however, was not false, and in June 2012, Mark O'Leary pleaded guilty to 28 counts of rape and was sentenced to 327 and a half years in prison, including 28 and a half years for the rape of Marie. Clinical psychologist Dr. Rebecca Campbell explains that victims are flooded with high levels of opiates during a rape, which are chemicals in the body intended to block physical and emotional pain, but which can also dull the victims' feelings. Dr. Campbell states that the demeanor that a victim might be communicating during the assault and afterward may be very flat, incredibly monotone, like seeing no emotional reaction, which can seem counterintuitive to both the victim and other people. Finally, we have the issue of a woman's sexual history coming into play and under scrutiny in their own assault. A woman who may have had a lot of sexual experience in the past may be assumed to have wanted the sexual advances that she claims was actually rape. Although there are variations of laws in each state prohibiting this information from being used in the courtroom as evidence, it doesn't stop the media or the community from judgment. People also judge based on how much harm they think the rape did to the person. So as an example, sex workers who claimed they have been raped will often be dismissed and considered less important than a rape of a mom who lives in the suburbs. During the Me Too movement, Melanie Hill, a 36-year-old Baltimore resident, disclosed on Facebook and on her blog that she had experienced sexual violence. But rather than receiving an outpouring of support, Hill said she received messages saying that she deserved to be sexually assaulted because she had worked in the sex industry for 20 years. She also received messages saying, how can you sexually assault a whore? According to an article in Time Magazine, there are no comprehensive, up-to-date statistics on how many sex workers in the U.S. have experienced sexual violence. But one systematic review of research found that globally, sex workers have a 45% to 75% chance of experiencing sexual violence on the job. Most sex workers who have experienced sexual assault are afraid to report it in fear of being shamed or not believed due to their profession, but another issue with reporting the assault comes from the fear of subsequently being arrested for prostitution. The same Times article stated that a 2016 Department of Justice report found indications that the Baltimore Police Department disregarded reports of sexual assault from people in the sex industry, and some officers targeted people in the sex industry to coerce sexual favors from them in exchange for avoiding arrest or for cash or narcotics. That's a whole nother episode too that can be done, um, so I'm not going to go into that, but just know that there's a bigger problem in that situation. So let's talk about the psychology behind victim blaming. Um, as I was doing research for the episode, I found a website called as one project, which helps people who know a sexual assault survivor, how to deal with the situation and be supportive to their friend or family member. Their website had a really good response to answering why we victim blame, so I'm going to read it off word for word. I literally copied and pasted it, so don't judge me. 
Uh, so they said sexual violence is a senseless crime. That being said, a normal human response to problems we face is to try to make sense of it. Part of this comes from a place of self-defense. If we can identify factors that we perceive to have caused the harm, we hope that will translate into being able to avoid these things in the future. When something happens to someone we know that was out of their control, it makes sense that we would try to regain some sense of control by identifying concrete steps we can take that will lessen the risk of it happening again. Mm-hmm. That's just nature, right? Like, yeah. You, like with anything. Yeah, with literally with anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb, but I think it would be one of the reasons why women are so have recently gotten so into true crime because I can see that Mm -hmm. because we know that as women we're probably more at risk for some sort of criminal activity. And so in watching and in listening to podcasts and in researching and Mm -hmm. just kind of being like diving into everything that is true crime, it's almost like we're preparing ourselves for what we would do if anything happened to us. Yeah. And so I think, you know, without even thinking of it, that is probably why a lot of us are really into it because it's, it's in a sense, you know, preparing, (laughs) preparing Mm -hmm. for the wars to happen. And again, what kind of life is that to live? Yeah. But it's, it's one of the only things that we can do that we do have control over. It's like, it's, if it's going to happen, I might as well know everything there is to know about every single serial killer, every rape case, every, Mm -hmm. you know, awful thing that has happened and think of ways that it's crazy. Okay. This is crazy. And I'm sorry, but it's crazy that when you move into like a new place, and I don't know if this is just me, but like when you move into a new place, you kind of look around and I did this here and I did it at the apartment where we were before, but I would always think about, okay, if I'm alone and Tim isn't here with me, if someone were to break in, how would I escape? Yep. I do and that too. And that's just so like crazy to think that like, why am I having to think this? Cause I don't think any of my like male friends or like my husband has really ever I mean Tim is kind of paranoid so Tim will have probably Gabe have does it only because of military background yeah I think they're trained to and do it's so a different it's but a it's different a different mentality reason. right and it's mm-hmm. a different reason to why they're thinking of it to, you know but for girls it's like this is probably and could very likely happen to me so let me figure out where my escape plan like what my escape plan is so mm-hmm. that I'm at the very least, you know, thinking about it so that if it I've happens, thought about my escape plan constantly just to make sure that I remember exactly what I want to do, like pushing out this screen and then I'm going to jump into that fence and then go into the neighbors and then mm-hmm. knock on the neighbor's door, you know, and then I'll be able to get help from there. Like I thought about that a lot. And this is something I've thought about since I was a kid. I mean, I remember thinking about this when I was living at my parents' house as a teenager, like my bedroom window led to the backyard mm-hmm. and I, my dad had like a like a tool shed type thing on the side. And I always thought like, okay, if I need to escape, like I can jump out the window cause it's not that high off the ground. Mm-hmm. I'll be fine. And I can use the little shed to climb over into the, I mean like, why am I thinking that as a like 13, 14 year old girl, but that's literally something that I, that I'm, I've been thinking about for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think that's why those shows, the survivor shows are so, you know, like the ones mm-hmm. where survivors of 
um, assault or kidnapped or whatever that talk about it. I think it's so popular because people are trying to see like how they were able to make it out. Yeah. Like in any situation, I remember the one time they had like someone that survived a bear attack and I swear I wanted to take a notebook out <laughs> and take notes just in case I'm ever attacked by a bear. Mm-hmm. Like it, in any situation, I think it's, um, really interesting to know how other people survive things. So it never happens to you, but then that's how we're perpetuating though the whole victim blaming when they don't get out you know if if they did get assaulted or they were murdered or they were kidnapped like okay what did they do wrong Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like just enough to keep us going right like Mm -hmm. you fall down this like really dark hole of like if anything were to happen to me what am i going to do but then you have the shows like i survived which is an incredible show and it has all of these survivors of these awful, awful attacks who have survived and what they're doing now. And most of them are doing really inspirational things with, you know, their like second chance. But it it gives you just enough hope to be like, OK, if I can if I do get attacked, like there's a really good chance or there's a chance that I can survive. So but again, it's like this cycle of you you're living your life knowing that you're most likely something is most likely going to happen to you. And Eventually. so you just want to at least be a survivor yeah. of something like that. Instead of being like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen to me because that's how most, that's how you become vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of effort is put into teaching women how to protect themselves and prevent from becoming victims of sexual assault, um, such as don't walk alone at night or carry pepper spray. Don't wear your hair in a ponytail. Don't you wear know your hair in a ponytail. So, oh, because you can get grabbed easier. So that's yeah, that's one of the things that like attackers will look for is like women who have ponytails because it's easier to grab to grab oh, their hair. Um, whereas if you your hair is down, it's harder to like you know because your hair like your fingers mm-hmm. can run through your hair. So that's one of the things that like during the target scare, mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I like made a conscious effort not to do. Oh my is, God, and I, my hair is always in a ponytail because yeah. it's just, you know, I work from home. I don't have any reason to like do my hair. So my hair is always in a ponytail. And so when I was going to target, that was one of the things that I would think about, like put your hair down at least as you're leaving, walking to your car and coming into the store so that if anything happens, like at least your hair's not in a ponytail. But again, why am I having to think of these things? Why do I? And this is another thing that I heard somewhere. Um, you walk with your car keys out yep. in your hand in your, and in you between have your, your knuckles in between mm-hmm. your knuckles in case someone comes I up that. to you and attack you. I do that every time. And you lock your key, you know, like lock your car the minute you get in. Don't do anything else before you do anything else. Get in your car, lock your car, mm-hmm. and and you know get going. Like if you have to do something, like do it once your key, your doors are locked. But yeah, I mean it's like exhausting. It's like exhausting <laughs> to be a girl. It's like a lot of part it's of your life. So it's so much ingrained into it. It's so much preparedness to just step out of your house. Not to mention all of the women who struggle inside their homes, which should be a safe ha- haven, right? Yeah, that too. Because if your husband rapes you, it's not rape. Oh, girl, we're going to get into that later. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Spousal rape, it's in my notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we put a lot of effort into how not to get assaulted. And, you know, that's what we teach everyone. But it seems like there's a lot less effort into being put into teaching how to not commit sexual assault. Uh, preventative measures are definitely important, but when people are having more conversations about preventing getting assaulted and less conversations about the importance of consent, then we are creating a narrative centered around the potential victim and not the assailant. 
As one project also states that another reason that victim blaming occurs is to separate ourselves from those who have been victimized. It can be too psychologically overwhelming to try to come to terms with the fact that there is a lot in our lives over which we have no control, including being the victim of a crime. Being sexually assaulted is something that is done to a survivor by a perpetrator, but in those situations, the perpetrator is the one taking control away from someone. Pointing at surface level details about the circumstances under which this type of crime occurred is one way we attempt to reassure ourselves that something like that won't happen to us, which is what we've been talking about this entire time, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. This makes sense to me when it comes to people casually talking about the rape of victims or maybe just being judgmental of a certain incident. But what it doesn't explain, in my opinion, is the hostility behind some of the comments. Um, as we remember from Daisy's case, people were calling her a filthy whore, a slut, skink, were threatening to beat her up and vandalizing her house. So how did victim blaming turn into cyberbullying and threats? Well... According to an article in Psychology Today, research has found that people who believe that the world is a just place are happier and less depressed. But this happiness may come at a cost. It may reduce our empathy for those who are suffering, and we may even contribute to their suffering by increasing stigmatization. So although some instances of victim blaming originate from ignorance, it can also come from a sense of superiority and makes them feel better about themselves to bring other people down. There is a degree to which many people find joy in the misery of others. Misery likes company. Mm-hmm. Noting that someone else has things worse than you can make your own life seem not as bad in comparison. Psychology Today claims that our tendency to blame the victim shouldn't be something we're proud of. It marginalizes the survivor, minimizes the criminal act, and makes people less likely to come forward and report what has happened to them. For these reasons, it's important to understand the psychology roots um, of victim blaming so we can help prevent it. Which brings us to the bigger picture that rape victims are often victimized twice. The first being the sexual assault and the second being the negative responses that comes from reporting the assault, which include the victim blaming, not believing the survivor, anger at them for turning in their attacker, and then judgment on the survivor's personal life or choices. And because of this, many victims are afraid to ever even report it. So society has basically created this stigma around being a rape victim instead of focusing on what the rapist did. Because, okay, so like with Brock, right? Yes. The judge famously said something along the lines of like wanting to protect essentially his future. Mm -hmm. There was no point in like, um, he said like there was no point in ruining ruining his ruining life, his, mm -hmm. his life right and so that also goes back to this like notion that a as women like we're we are supposed to be like motherly or mm -hmm. like um nurturing yeah and so we're kind of like raised to to like serve men right and so when women are raped i'm sure that a lot of them think well, if I say something, I'm going to ruin his life. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And so then that's part of this. Like, they feel bad. They feel, 
you feel bad <laughs> to ruin the life of the person who just ruined yours. And it's this cycle that women live in mm-hmm. of wanting to be this like perfect kind of like being that is there to like lift you up. But I'm sorry, when are we being lifted up? We're, you know, we're at a point where we're lifting each other up, but I'm yeah. sorry. It, it's kind of, it's your turn, men, to kind of turn around be and nice. be nice, you know, All, and that's the thing. Like no one's asking for, um, anything other than just like equal, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's all, that's all we ask. But yet here we are feeling guilty about potentially ruining their, their life. It's crazy. I'm sorry. It's crazy. I agree with you. I'm going to flip this, the script a little bit right now though. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually talk about male rape Yeah, <laughs> because it's not, um, just a woman thing. Yes, it is mostly a woman thing, but there are a women who can be perpetrators as well. Mm-hmm. Not, not as likely, um, statistically. Um, but it is an even bigger stigma in rape culture, being a male and being an assault victim. Mm-hmm. So Robert Mueller, PhD, wrote an article in Psychology Today and stated that approximately one in six men have experienced some form of sexual abuse as children. That's a lot. That's a lot. I, I wouldn't have expected that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one in 33 American men are reportedly survivors of attempted or completed rape but are still likely to be very underreported. According to the CDC, men are 15% more likely to have suicidal ideations after experiencing sexual assault, which is alarming for men because they are also more likely to be successful in their attempts at suicide and self-harming. Although women are more likely to be sexually assaulted, Western notion of masculinity and gender have made it difficult to view men as victims of abuse. Men are often expected to welcome sexual advances and not view them as unwanted. It's common to hear phrases like, a male can't be raped because he must have wanted it. Male survivors may be less likely to identify what happened to them as abuse or assault because of the general idea that men are always wanting sex. A further challenge is the widely held view that physical strength makes men incapable of being overpowered or assaulted. After an assault, the victim often feels troubled by his inability to protect himself, questioning his masculinity and feeling that a sense of control has been taken from him. Male survivors are often left to be suffering in silence because they're much less likely to be seeking out help than a woman would. Um, rape in prisons is a major issue. Um, jokes are common such as don't drop the soap. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now these prison rapes are not included in national statistics of rape victims. Mm hmm. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know. So it's even more significant than Mm -hmm. you would imagine. Most think it is justified and they must deserve it because they are criminals. Which is slightly annoying to me because as we know from the last two episodes that we did, there's people in prison that are wrongfully convicted, like a huge percentage of people that are wrongfully convicted. So, and also who are you, (laughs) who are you to say what's, (laughs) what's right and what's not and what's just and what's not like in prison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, any, I mean, anyone other than like quote unquote, a court of law, which we all know, you know, is faulty, but yeah, like you can't just take 
justice into your own hands and be like, well, I'm going to rape you because you're in prison. Dude, you're in prison too. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what, like what? Yes. It's so backwards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So even though males can also be victims of sexual assault, there is very little resources such as counseling um, for them. In October 2015, Sweden opened the world's first male rape center. It is the only known center that provides emergency medical care for men and boys who are victims of rape and sexual abuse. Although most rape centers don't turn male victims away, there are no others that cater specifically to the physical and emotional needs of men who undergo such trauma. Another issue is that popular culture and the media typically portray rape as involving penetration, which assumes only a male can perpetrate it. So the common view is that men cannot be raped by women. For example, if a victim tells a friend he's experienced unwanted sexual activity, the friend's reaction is more likely to be congratulatory than horrified. And the victim is less likely to report the crime thereafter. There's a common sentiment that men are always open to sexual advances and therefore automatically consent. This misconception can lead to situations where if a man is intoxicated or otherwise unable to provide consent, he may subsequently be sexually assaulted. Contrary to stereotypes, the common view of no means no applies to both genders, and we need to remember that lack of consent is just as significant as an expression of non-consent. And I'm sure maybe you'll touch on this, but... Um, how many times and how many cases haven't we seen where maybe there was quote unquote consent, but it was because, or it was out of fear or out of pressure that Mm -hmm. if you said no, Mm -hmm. it would be so much worse. Right. So there's been so many women who I feel like I've seen in like ID discovery and all those shows um, who are retelling their story and they talk about whether it was rape or, you know, attempted murder mm-hmm. where they felt like if they just um, like went, went along, along with, with it, it, mm-hmm. it would a end sooner and B be less like violent. Yeah. And so I feel like there's probably a high percentage of women out there who feel conflicted because it's like, yeah, I, quote unquote consented, but I consented it wasn't a real because, consent. yeah, I was afraid for my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in fear of my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how, how do you, how you distinguish right. the difference when you're in court? Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. Because Yeah. Because all it is, is like, well, you said, yes. It's a, he said, she said yeah. at that point, yeah. unfortunately. Um, I also want to point out that I'm not going to be going into this in this episode, um, but transgender people have, a significantly high rate of violent sexual mm-hmm. assault, not just, I mean, all sexual assault is bad, but like extremely yeah. violent. Mm-hmm. It's disproportionate um, to their community. And so that's, I feel like that's a whole issue. There's a podcast on it if you're interested. Oh, there is? Mm-hmm. What's it called? Um, let me look. The podcast I was talking about is called, um, so it's from Uncover. Listen to all of the Uncover um, <laughs> seasons, but it's Uncover season seven or five, I believe it's uncovered. The village is the name of that specific season. Okay. And it's about Toronto's gay village and a serial killer that's on the loose. And for 
um, a lot of years, I would say, I can't remember exactly, but for a really long time, nothing was being done because it was gay men disappearing. Um, oh, some of who were like trans though. transgender men and it mm. talks about, it goes into how violent the deaths were and, um, and so it's it's a really good series. It's very informative, but it goes into all of this and how how sad it is. So when you're done listening to this episode, go over there, <laughs> uncover all of them. Okay. Um, that's all that I have for male rape. Did you want to add anything to that? Mm-mm. Um. So the next issue that we briefly mentioned earlier is spousal rape, which. Uh, like I've known, but doing the research on it, like I was increasingly getting more upset. Like the more laws I started. Yeah. I was going to say, do you know what year, what year, what what year? Because I think that for a really long time, I would say like in the very recent, like recent years, Mm -hmm. um, it was legally, it couldn't legally be rape if it was by your husband. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, um, I don't know the year, but it's, it was, it's all I'm going to mention recent. some of that right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read an article by McLean Stanley, who's a practicing attorney and graduate of Harvard law school. He also previously earned his master's of education in developmental psychology from Harvard's graduate school of education. Uh, he stated that as the nation shelters at home, significant upticks in domestic violence have received widespread attention. So with that, the related problem of spousal rape shouldn't go overlooked. Until 1975, every state in the U.S. considered a husband's rape of his wife an exception to its rape laws. Legal codes of the time either defined rape as a man having non-consexual sexual intercourse with, in quotations, a woman, not his wife, Slowly, states began to repeal these exceptions, with Oklahoma and North Carolina being the last to do so in 1993, after we were born. Mm -hmm. However, there are still loopholes within the laws that basically help dismiss spousal rape. And this is where I started to get really (laughs) mad. Um, As an example, in 2017, a woman in Minnesota was in the middle of a divorce when she found a flash drive containing videos taken by her husband. The videos depicted him having sex with her and penetrating her with objects as she lay non-responsive on their bed. Mm-hmm. I remember this. You do know this mm-hmm. one? Oh, man. I. The more I read into it, I was like blood boiling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So unknown to her at the time, her husband had been drugging her and leaving her in- incapacitated. The woman handed the videos over to the police and her husband was charged with criminal sexual conduct in the third degree, which prohibits sexual acts with someone who is incapacitated. But surprisingly, a statutory loophole existed that shielded the husband from criminal liability for those exact actions. The charge was dropped within hours of being filed. The loophole was eventually repealed due to this woman's advocacy But in 13 states, spousal rape laws either explicitly require the use of force or provides immunity if one spouse is incapacitated, such as the woman in this case. That makes zero sense to me. How can you drug your spouse and rape them and it's okay because you made sure they were unconscious first? So if I ever want to poison Tim, I just have to make sure... He's unconscious before I do it. And then it's okay. Right. Unfortunately, people care about murder. Not so much rape. Right. 
Mm. I just, okay. I would never do that though. (laughs) Don't worry, Tim. (laughs) You're fine. You can eat whatever (laughs) she makes. These laws basically allow for spousal rape when the victim's drug, unconscious, or otherwise unable to consent. South Carolina has the most extreme law imposing criminal liability for spousal rape only if the act involves a weapon or highly aggravated violence. Victims of spousal rape in South Carolina have only 30 days to report the incident to authorities, and the maximum sentence for the offense is 10 years, whereas rape of a non-spouse carries a maximum sentence of 30 years. Several other states have statutes that result in spousal rape being treated much differently than the rape of non-spouses. For example, in Virginia, prison sentences for spousal rape can be suspended entirely if the court believes that counseling will, quote, promote maintenance of the family unit. The rationale behind spousal rape exceptions can be traced back to the 17th century jurist, Sir Matthew Hale, who wrote that for the husband cannot be guilty of a rape committed by himself upon his lawful wife for by their mutual matrimonial consent and contract, the wife hath given up herself in this kind onto her husband, which she cannot retract. AKA she was literally his property. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And nothing could be done. And we already know that law takes so long to like... Mm -hmm form and change that it's definitely dragged on a common rebuttal for those opposed to the government allowing for such laws though was that by pursuing criminal charges against a husband for the rape of his wife the government was facilitating the separation of spouses rather than helping them to reconcile so it would not be in society's best interest as they were not helping to promote marital harmony why would you want someone to reconcile with their rapist I don't, that doesn't make much sense to me. Recently, legislative attempts to repeal spousal rape loopholes have had mixed responses. Maryland recently proposed bills to roll back their spousal rape exceptions, but they failed. During the debates surrounding the Maryland bill, lawmakers questioned whether a spouse might be charged with sexual assault for, quote, smacking the others behind, end quote. And if religious beliefs that married persons inhabit a singular body should preempt criminal liability. They're just throwing out random excuses Mm -hmm. at this point. Perceptions of spousal rape are obviously alive and well, as we have seen from President Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. Cohen? Is that how you say his name? Cohen. In 2015, allegations surfaced that Trump had raped his ex-wife, Ivana Trump, decades earlier. In response, Cohen was recorded stating... Understand that by the very definition, you can't rape your spouse. (laughs) Research shows that approximately 10 to 14% of married women in the United States have been raped by their husbands. This is just the United States. We're not even going to get started on other countries right now. Um, And the psychological effects can be just as strong as being raped by a stranger as the trauma of being assaulted by someone you once loved and trusted and who you thought loved and cared about you is more likely to lead to depression and anxiety. In fact, many experts now refer to violent and controlling behaviors in marital relationships as intimate terrorism. Mm -hmm. That's deep. Because can you imagine like... 
your whole world is completely shattered, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's someone that you know, mm-hmm. because then you start questioning everything. Every, like literally everything. Like, was this real? Was this not? Like, yeah. did, did I miss something? And again, like you're putting, what blame, did I do wrong? Yeah. Blame back on yourself. It's mm-hmm. not your fault. No, <laughs> that's all the sadness that I have for today. Yay. Um, but I do have some bright spots. And I don't, so we say bright spots at my work. I don't know if that's a common thing for people to say, but at work, whenever we want to highlight, because we see a lot of tragedy, you know, in the court systems and the line of work that I do. And so it can be really emotionally draining for us. Um, so we've come up with this thing where every once in a while we'll ask for bright spots. I think Mm -hmm. it's like once a month they ask for everyone to write down like a something positive that happened with one of our cases or if something randomly happens in your case that's like amazing or like so happy we immediately just like send an all staff email and Mm -hmm. just so we call it bright spot so that's what I've continued to say um so I do have some regarding this um in 2017 Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill revoking California's 10-year statute of limitations on rape cases however the new law will only apply to crimes committed after January 1st 2017 I know. So like some good, but like mm, not good enough. Um, California was also the first in the nation to pass a yes means yes bill in 2014. Governor Jerry Brown signed a law for California universities that received public funding to require students to get affirmative, conscious and voluntary agreement to engage in sexual activity. According to the new law, lack of protest or resistance does not mean consent, nor does silence mean consent. Critics have complained that the requirement to seek explicit consent will destroy the mood, thus destroying sex. (laughs) But years of experience in sex therapy shows us definitively that such communication improves sexual relations and lessening sexual confusion. Also in 2014, President Barack Obama issued a memorandum announcing the White House Task Force to protect students from sexual assault. In his speech, he stated, For anybody whose once normal, everyday life was suddenly shattered by an act of sexual violence, the trauma, the terror can shatter you long after one horrible attack. It lingers. You don't know where to go or who to turn to. And people are more suspicious of what you were wearing or what you were drinking as if it's your fault, not the fault of the person who assaulted you. We still don't condemn sexual assault as loudly as we should. We make excuses. We look the other way. Laws won't be enough unless we change the culture that allows assault to happen in the first place. Three months later, the task force unveiled their report and recommendations. That same day, the White House launched a new website, notalone.gov. So I know that there has been a ton of other positive legislative changes and awareness to the topic, um, specifically after the Me Too movement. I just personally did not have enough time to do research on all of this Mm -hmm. because the subject alone, this whole topic Mm -hmm. took so long because there's so much to it. And again, I want to emphasize that there's more to this that I did not cover simply because of time, not because it wasn't important. Um, But I mean, we could dive into again like i said the transgender or the military or we could go further into the prison 
Military mm-hmm. is a whole different thing. Um, war, rape during war. That's a big thing too. So again, there's a lot more um, positives. There's a lot more negatives, but for the sake of time, I can't do it all. Um, these bright spots that I mentioned are only because it randomly came into my search um, while I was doing other things. But I do have some call to actions. Woo-woo. Yay. Um, so basically our call to action, what we can do to not only help survivors, but to try to stop the cycle of rape culture and rape myths in general. Um, number one, don't fucking rape. Um, number two, if a survivor tells you they were sexually assaulted, believe them regardless of the circumstances that led to the assault. Learn to put your bias aside and just listen. If you are unsure how you can help them exactly, you can visit asoneproject.org for guidance. So number three, let's try to change the rhetoric that we use when describing certain issues so that we don't minimize it, such as non-consensual sex, that's rape. Sex with a minor is rape of a child. Child prostitution, um, they're rape victims, or even commercial sexual exploitation of children, or C-sec for short. Also, although the word victim is used in the legal world, we can also refer to them as sexual assault survivors Mm -hmm. so that they can take a little bit of control back of the situation. They don't have to consider themselves victims for the rest of their lives. They've survived something. Yeah. More empowering. Mm -hmm. Four, learn the true meaning of consent. Yes means yes, although you did point out a good um, thing earlier about possibly being forced to say yes yeah um but if, if you're she, like begging for it it's yeah, that's probably a good way mm-hmm. not can you know like it's a good way to not put consent it. like if the person is into it and you'll know if the person is into it and you've gotten like the go ahead like go ahead do your thing but like if you're having to like beg someone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not a good start like it's a bad look walk away <laughs> call it an L and not your day. Yeah, no. (laughs) Um, also if she can't answer you, bro, then don't do it. Mm. Right. If they Mm -hmm. can't talk, that's a no. Mm -mm. And that goes along with the yes means yes, but also no answer is a no. No. (laughs) Um, if you need to learn more about that or understanding consent better, you can visit loveisrespect.org more information it's a nice website i'll look through a little bit <laughs> um parents not only teach your kids about how to be safe and vigilant but also teach them about consent and their own actions and accountability teach kids how not to be raped but also teach kids how not to rape specifically i mean i was gonna say specifically boys right but i, I understand that like both men and women can can rape Mm -hmm. but just because it's so much more prevalent in in males right like i think that like we need to do a better job of raising good men in the world not just when it comes to rape but Mm -hmm. when it comes to everything right like Mm -hmm. everything that comes with being partners to women in in whatever sense of the word not just romantically but yeah just in life Mm -hmm. living amongst women Number six, normalize seeking therapy regardless of your gender. 
If you have experienced assault, please reach out to a professional to help you through the trauma. And if you know someone who has been assaulted, positively encourage them to go to therapy. If you need help, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E. I don't, I don't know what numbers those are, but <laughs> 1-800-656-HOPE. Uh, seven, let's all agree to stop victim blaming, stop judging, stop making excuses, stop minimizing assaults and have a zero tolerance attitude when it comes to people, you know, who have been a perpetrator and hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Number eight, you can donate to global programs such as the United Nations Trust Fund to end violence against women, or you can research local programs who are helping survivors of sexual assault or even women's shelters. Um, you can even volunteer your time at these local programs. There are amazing programs where you can become a support person for a survivor um, who has to go to court to confront their rapist. Mm-hmm. You can go with them yeah. and, and be with them during that time, just you know, so they're not alone. Because yeah. not everyone has a family member or mm-hmm. a friend that they have or even trust to take with them. And so sometimes they um, get assigned to these volunteer supporters. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people don't want to bring, don't want to even tell their families that they're Mm -hmm. going through this, right? Mm -hmm. And so they kind of hide it. Yeah, that too. And so that would be a really good way to be there for someone who Mm -hmm. might not have, yeah. Yeah. Number nine, you can support advocates who are trying to change laws to help survivors, sign their petitions, share their work, and have the conversations with your friends and family. And finally, don't fucking rape. Amen. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what I started with, I was originally going to do these untested rape kits that have been backlogged in the evidence rooms of police departments all over the country. Um, and then I accidentally went into a rabbit hole of this. And then I was going to combine the two, but this just had so much of it that I just couldn't summarize it into half an episode i couldn't even summarize it into one episode um so i'm hoping in the future i can revisit this um into some of the specific subjects and either go in more in depth or some of the subjects i had to cut out and not even talk about during this episode um we can do another episode on that and then um i will touch base on my next episode about the untested rape kits that are backlogged so we will talk about that that's a whole issue on its own um but if you have any um recommendations or what you want to hear about or learn about you can contact us and we'll be more than happy to research it or talk to you about it um you can email us at unjustlypodcast.gmail.com um follow us on instagram unjustly podcast and you can dm us if you need to talk about anything we're here for you as well even if we don't know you i promise it's a safe space always mm-hmm. and it as important as it is for like us to be having that conversation or like this conversation it's also really important that we have these conversations with our male counterparts whether yeah. it's our husbands or mm-hmm. like partners or cousins or everybody friends. i mean like parents anyone, yeah cousins, your parents your children your teens mm-hmm. they're in a really you know unique stage of their life i think it's very important to talk to the teens about it but really. and it's the only way that we can unlearn what we have come to learn about what rape is considered mm-hmm. what like what is rape what it's not like 
why someone deserved it, why they didn't. So having yeah. these conversations now is really the only way that we can start to change the men- like the mentality that we have around Agreed. the topic. So talk, talk, talk. Sorry for such a sad one. I just felt like it was an important one. Yeah. But thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye.